Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I, I'm, I'm very good. I'm very good. We, so the, the, the Bucks just won a playoff game before we recorded. And so, one, we're recording a little late to, to accommodate my watching the game. Uh, and two, I have to admit, I was worried that they were going to lose, and I was going to have to really struggle to pull myself together. Uh, instead, I'm on a bit of a high, so uh, maybe may, may be a little hyped up, even more than usual for this podcast. Fantastic. I, I'm feeling the same way. It's only one episode the past three weeks. I was starting to go through withdrawal symptoms. Yes, I, I am looking forward to talking to you, and I am pretty excited about our topic today. But first, I want to thank WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent, as they do every week, except unless we're not recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're excited to have WordPress.com as our sponsor. Whether you're building a personal blog, a business site, or both, creating your website on WordPress.com helps others find you, remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process. Uh, what part of the process do they guide you through, James? Uh, the setup process, Ben? Oh, no. Start to finish. Start oh, to finish. <laughs> I had to jump to a new bullet point. becoming increasingly nerve-wracking, this ad read and my quiz on it. Ah, you're going to have to send it to me so I can memorize it before the show. You know, you're going to have to actually listen to our podcast. And then, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sending you anything. Oh, no, that's a fate worse than death. No way. <laughs> and take care of the technical side of your site up and running. Their customer support team is made of WordPress experts eager to help you get the most from your site, and they're available to help you. Or I'll give you an easy one. 24 by 7. There you go. Plan started at just $4 a month at all plans. Include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. Go to wordpress.com slash exponent to get 15% off your website today. That's wordpress.com slash exponent. And again, I run on expo- I run on WordPress, not wordpress.com, but wordpress.com is a great place to start, and it sets you up perfectly if you want to go off on your own and do your own thing. So uh, I am very happy to have them as a sponsor. And I'm sweating, and we haven't even started yet. <laughs> so uh, I did write about uh, privacy and you know the way I think it's going to solidify the the main players, a, a topic that I think we've covered mm. <laughs> a bit. And I actually would really like to talk about what I wrote about a week ago, and mm. we did a podcast last week because I personally thought it was interesting for all for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, we've touched on this one previously, and it's interesting to see how. Gosh, was it a year ago when we talked about Open Door and we, we talked about Zillow and the news that they came out with like last week was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, so there's just to back up because it's been a couple of weeks, just to kind of refresh what we're talking about. Zillow, the the again, what what kind of, what kind of company are they? Is an interesting question. Mm. The I believe in their IPO, they friend themselves as a a real estate marketing company real, or as media, a media, media yeah. real estate. Yeah, that's right. And the reason and the reason why that was an accurate description is one, just you know, we think about IPO from sort of like describing how they actually make money and the margins to expect in the business. That that was that that was correct because that. They're not actually involved in the real estate buying process. They are a basically a discovery, like a search engine to find houses, but the houses, they, they then hand them off to real estate agents. And we talked about it, uh, we did talk, talk about it a, a year or so ago in the context of Open Door, and they're not a part of the transaction. And the reason why that happened, why it's structured like that, are long and complicated, and we might get back into it a bit. Mm. Although, you know, again, we will also put a link to the previous podcast. Mm. But the news here is that they are actually going to start inserting themselves into that into that transaction. And they're going to do it in the way that Open Door is doing it, which is actually buying the houses themselves and then listing them. And again, they're they're putting all sort of words out there, but we're going to involve real estate agents. They're partnering with real estate agencies. But make no mistake, this is a pretty fundamental change. Right. And the interesting part about it is 
on one on one hand, it makes a lot of sense, and it makes a lot of sense as you start to land in a position in the value chain and move up the value chain, particularly if you've got the eyes of lots of lots of consumers. But the big risk, and I think this is. Oh, well, there are a couple of big risks, actually. The, the obvious one is that they are biting the hand that feeds them in terms of the real estate agents are the ones that are actively listing the properties on Zillow because that's where a whole bunch of consumers are because Zillow had a price estimate for people's houses and that got that got lots of eyeballs, consumers on the demand side there. And then they started, people started looking at houses there. And then real estate agents realized that if they wanted to sell the house, an obvious place to go was where the consumers are all looking and Zillow became that place. And this, this seems like a logical next step in terms of pushing further along the value chain. But there's obviously the risk associated with biting the hand that feeds you. There's another big risk, which is going from a media company with super high margins into a property investment company. Those are very different businesses. Right, exactly. So, so there's so many angles of this that I think that I think are interesting. So, mm. just to kind of like back out and and put sort of a, a frame around this, because the reason why I found this, like you touched on one angle that is really interesting in sort of isolation, which is a company, a successful company that that is uh, changing its business model, mm. and 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 they're changing the business model. So that's interesting. Number one. Yeah. Number two is the, sort of the interaction with the stock market and their investors and the expectations for the company, mm-hmm. which ties into that. And number three, which you just mentioned is the the competing with their suppliers, right? Because the way Zillow makes money is real estate agents running ads on Zillow to make the, their houses uh, higher in the, in the search results for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. And, and and so that that that's sort of the the narrow angle. And we could, I think, easily do a whole podcast about that because they all touch on issues that mm-hmm. that we've discussed previously. The other thing, though, that I think is really interesting is thinking about this in the context of aggregation theory mm. because something that I've 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 struggled with or not struggled with but that there's been a missing piece uh, uh, with aggregation theory for me particularly in, in the last year or so which is why do some companies you know w- what is an aggregator right and i did that definition piece last year defining aggregators that kind of actually came out of this podcast and, and there was a there's a piece missing in that and, and what's interesting is i actually had that piece in the original version of aggregation theory back in 2015 uh, and that uh, and and i kind of forgot about it over the intervening time that piece is integration mm-hmm. where where you make money in a value chain not just by being a player in that value chain even if you're in a v- really valuable spot like owning the consumer relationship the way you actually make money is kind of a separate question and that comes from integrating two pieces of that value chain it's the integration that drives a defensible strategic position and drives outsized profits it, it, to be a to only own one piece of the value chain you can build a business there but it's going to be highly competitive and you're going to be you're going to be squeezed sort of continuously and to, to have a sustainable long-term business depends on integration and, and th- that's part I think of understanding what Zillow is doing here yeah I think it's a fantastic point there's a I mean the integration piece that you pulled from aggregation theory came from Christensen's professor Christensen's work on disruption and understanding integration and modularity and th- this is something that I've thought about a lot in the context more of disruption than aggregation but I think the application works exactly the the same way, which is when you come up with a disruptive technology, it is not in itself enough 
uh, you have to come up with a disruptive business model. If you just take the technology and you leave the market as it is, people will view it only through the lens of a sustaining technology. And I, I had this realization, and I think I mentioned it previously on the podcast, a good friend of mine co-founded a business in the finance space called EFL. And what they did is they go out into emerging markets and they do credit scoring through personality tests. And very predictive and, and, and in markets where they don't have uh, credit scoring infrastructure, this is huge. So they would apply it in, in certain markets and they would take uh, loan applications that banks had rejected through their existing uh, credit scoring process and apply these personality tests. And they were that predictive and that much stronger than the existing infrastructure that they would actually outperform the bank loan, the bank's portfolio of loans, which is crazy because they're taking the rejects. But the extent to which they're successful was limited by the fact that they were piping their, their technology into an existing infrastructure. And what you can do is if you think about really take getting a disruption to market, it's not enough just to have the technology. You have to think about how to bring it to market. And if you integrate it on top of, I'm not just going to do this better credit scoring, but I'm going to think about building an entire business predicated on this new technology, then your ability to capture value and create a disruptive product is is obviously much greater and you'll capture a much greater piece of the pie. And that's that's the equivalent that I think applies here to Zillow and the broader point around aggregation theory. It's almost like the ability to attract consumers in this way has the same effects in the market as a disruption. It allows you to do something in the market that previously was not able to be done. And oftentimes it's this better customer experience that attracts consumers. But if all you do is do that and then pass it off into the existing parts of the market, you're never going to have the same impact as if you integrate down. And that's why I'm so bullish about Zillow doing this. I love how you connected it to the idea of Sustaining innovation and, dis- and disruptive innovation. I, I I think we should dwell on that a little bit more because th- this is this is exactly right. What Zillow was before, you know, being you know basically making the current model better, mm. uh, it, 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 which is fine, and and they made again they built a ni- nice business doing that. But it was a sustaining aggregation, if, mm-hmm. if I could put it that way, right? Yeah, because they, they were absolutely aggregating customers. They were the way people entered the real estate market, and that's that's valuable. Like, and they were appropriately paid for it but they didn't change the market like another example of this i think is spotify spotify is at least to date Mm. a sustaining aggregator Mm -hmm. they are actually propping up and strengthening the incumbents which are the record companies and in many respects the record companies are stronger today than they ever were before thanks to spotify and and you know and there's lots of examples of this in terms of disruption where a new technology comes along and it's a great technology but the existing players are able to incorporate that technology Mm -hmm. into their existing business model yeah and that's great like that's a fine thing you know the the component suppliers that made that technology you know make money but you don't build transformative businesses that change value change that change markets and you don't build a sustainable moat if if what you do is just sustaining and if if it's not disruptive 
Right. So, I mean, just I think it's useful to define mm. this because, like, I, like I, I'm super excited right now because it, I, it was a light bulb moment, right? You making the analogy to sustaining versus, you know, disruptive. And but so I want to step back a moment and make sure we, we have the definitions right for people yeah. that are listening. Because you and I, like, we could we're just tossing around uh, <laughs> like business that. speak like, yeah, like we're right. sitting in an MBA school, right? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so so my favorite example of sustaining versus disruptive uh, te- technology is the Mac. And the reason I love it is because the Mac was was so. If you think about it in almost any sort mm. of lens, it, it's so um, it's the most incredible. Like one of the most incredible inventions there are. Like just to completely rethink how a computer works and make it so much more approachable and lay the groundwork for all of computing for the next you know x you know four decades. It's it's an incredible incredible product, right? And get <laughs> and what happened? Microsoft ate. Apple's lunch. Why? Because the Mac was a sustaining innovation. Now, again, this doesn't make it a less valuable innovation, at least to society broadly and like historically speaking. But from a business sense and a money making sense, it absolutely makes it a less valuable invention because Microsoft just copied it <laughs> and, and they copied it and attached it to the existing business model that they had based on the IBM PC and DOS, which predated the Mac. And we, we've talked talked about this before, right? The reason the Mac failed is not because Windows beat the Mac, because Windows was open and the Mac was closed. The reason the Mac failed is because Windows already had the business model in place, because DOS came first. DOS was already established and widespread before the Mac came out. Like, it had a three- to four-year head start. And so when the Mac came out, it was amazing and incredible, but it didn't build, I mean, it, it built a nice business, but it didn't build a transformative business because it, it Microsoft was able to just adopt it and plug it into their existing business model. It didn't change the business model. It's it's such a good point. And most of the most of the innovation that happens in society today ends up being sustaining innovation. Like Which is fine. Yeah, it is. It's useful, like a better a better mousetrap, as they say. Oh, and the, like another one I like is Dropbox, right? Well, when Steve Jobs said it's just a feature. What he was saying was it's a sustaining technology. It's not transformative. And and that's why and he was and he was right because Dropbox tried and tried and tried in the consumer market and what they ultimately had to do. They had to go to the business market, which is a different market, different value chain. And again, they they are building a business. You know, hopefully it'll be a nice business. It's not a transformative business in the mm-hmm. way that that Perhaps you know Drew House thought it might be in the consumer space because it's it was just a feature and just a feature it, it, like if you back up and squint a GUI ended up being just a feature in the same sort of way. Yeah, it's that's a great parallel actually. I think what would be interesting here just to drive the point home for folks is to think about a technology right now and how it could be applied as a sustaining innovation and a disruptive innovation. And one of our, it's been a less popular topic in the more recent exponents, but obviously if you go back far enough, something that we would talk about a whole lot is self-driving cars and the impact that's going to have on society. Now the technology, the technology is going to be very much the same, whether you're an existing manufacturer or something like Google and maybe Google drops it into an existing manufacturer. This is a technology that is in, in and of itself, business model agnostic, but you think about the incentive 
incentives of different players and how they want to apply that technology. You give it to someone like a BMW, an existing car manufacturer, and their instinct is to think, how can I take this technology and sell the vehicle that I have for more money as a result? And you get interesting and cool features like self-driving on Tesla or adaptive cruise control or BMWs or whatever. In fact, BMW had this super cool video. I'm a car nut. They had this super cool video of they taught the self-driving vehicle how to slide around a track. So there's this guy just gets in, it makes everyone look like they're a drift hero, which I thought was super cool, but it's fundamentally a sustaining innovation. This is exactly why self-driving vehicles, people love to talk about Tesla as disruptive and maybe they're something in terms of the way they're thinking about building out a network and so on it's true but in terms of the actual vehicles this is why tesla vehicles are fundamentally not a disruptive product they are using a technology to sell a better product to the existing people for more money it is fundamentally the same business model but take that to a a very different context which is something like an uber or a lyft and these guys are doing ride sharing right and they're primary cost of business are paying for the the drivers that are in in the vehicles and if you apply that is disruptive to the existing car manufacturers uber and lyft wanting to take self-driving technology they're not going to take that and they're not going to try to sell the the vehicles for more money as a result of it they're going to take the technology and use it to drive down the cost basis of offering ride sharing the the same technology applied in fundamentally different ways one is sustaining one is disruptive it's it's a great point and this is why even though uber and lyft like the technology of uber and lyft lyft seems less impressive mm. than like say a tesla for example they're, they're more meaningful from a business perspective be, because it's a different business model and this is the thing about disruption and why you know people who who study this stuff get frustrated at the term disruption being thrown mm. about constantly because disruption is fundamentally about business models like like if there is no business model change there is no disruption right yeah. I and mean, what's the classic example with like a hotel, right? It, it, to, to be a cheap hotel is not mm. disruptive to a Ritz-Carlton because if you actually want to match the Ritz-Carlton and and acquire the same customers, you're going to end up being just as expensive as a Ritz-Carlton, right? Totally. You, totally. Whereas in Airbnb coming along and, and offering something completely different and an experience that could match Ritz-Carlton, like people offer houses that are pretty freaking spectacular on there but doing it with a completely different business model uh, is is disruptive in a way that you know that, that say OTAs online travel agents are, are we're not disruptive so so um I do want to mention online travel agents cuz they're mm. they're a piece that I've I've kind of struggled with in defining when it comes to mm-hmm. aggregation mm-hmm. and, and this this conversation actually helped me think through it I think they are aggregators in in, in a meaningful sense and and the reason is so what does an online travel agent do? You go there and you search for you, you, instead of starting at a brand at a hotel brand, you search for like a destination, and then it lists like the 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 rooms from all the different brands. So we're talking and, like a price line or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Like like or Booking dot com is is kind of mm-hmm. the, the, the the biggest monster here. And what's interesting is you could argue that Booking dot com is not disruptive because it, it, it's it's maintaining sort of the same business model. And it it, it, it but but why is it? Why is it successful? It's successful not because it disrupted the travel industry. That's what Airbnb is trying to do. The, but the reason why it's successful and extremely profitable and, and, and you know is, is such the monster that it is is because it is an aggregator. So you can so aggregation disruption are can be 
different sort of things. They're, they're, this is why they're, they're different concepts. And what booking has has done is they're not just a discovery service. There are OTAs that are – or there are uh, sites that just help you find hotels. Mm-hmm. They've actually integrated backwards into the transaction itself. Right. And so the integration is the actual reservation and the finding of the hotel. And then on the backside, what has happened? Exactly what you predicted with aggregation theory, where hotels come onto the platform and put their inventory onto booking.com in a way that booking prefers, modularizing themselves and commoditizing themselves. Which And why? Because book, booking.com has made an integration in the value chain that has warped and changed the value chain, right? So in this case, it's actually a sustaining technology, but mm-hmm. it is very successful because it is an aggregator that has that, that, that has achieved integration. So there, again, integration is like the end point. That's where you make money. That's where you you, that's where you transform value change. You can get to a point of integration through a disruptive technology, or you can get to it through an aggregation through, through being an aggregator. But if you don't get to it, then you're not you're not a transformative company. You're just not. Right. It's it's fascinating listening to you describe the OTA process because in many respects, what they have done for booking hotel rooms. Zillow is kind of moving very closely towards in terms of the North American real estate market, right? Right. And that, that's what makes this so interesting because if you're not – as long as you're not involved in the trans, – I think – I've talked about you have to get – you have to integrate. But I think you have to be involved in the transaction. That's really the key. If you think mm. about all the aggregators that we talk about, they're all involved in the actual transaction, right? Yeah. And that transaction may – in the case of like Google and Facebook, that may be the transaction may involve advertising. Mm-hmm. But but all the other examples we talk about would be Netflix or Uber or Airbnb or, or the online travel agents. It's actual money-changing hands. They manage the, the exchange of money. And mm-hmm. Zillow was not a part of that. So they, they were – completely separated from the actual changing of money in the real estate market. And again, it was a very successful position, but the reason why it was a fundamentally fragile position is that Zillow was going to rise and fall with the sort of the sustainability of the real estate market as a whole. And everyone knows that the real estate market in North America is just is bonkers. It makes zero sense. Again, to sort of reiterate, in a real estate transaction, the seller pays six a 6% fee. And that fee is then split between the buying real estate agent and the selling real estate agent half and half. And it's it's bizarre because one, it's so huge. The, mm. the fee is so high. And two, the incentives are completely screwed up. You end up in a situation where the buying real estate agent who theoretically should help you get a better price on your house is actually motivated to keep the price high. I mean, it's it, Everything about this market doesn't make sense, which is why people have kept trying to attack it. And it's very entrenched for lots of reasons, including it's very it's very decentralized. The, 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 the MLS, the, the multiple listing services that are unique to each geography and to be a part of them, you have to be, you have to be a certified broker. Uh, and there's all these – and real estate agents like for like Redfin would come in and they just wouldn't show people – like a real estate agent can really control the buying process. They can not show – a buyer mm. of the house. They can point out all kinds of problems in the house that makes you not want to buy it. Like all houses have problems, right? And it's like it's like an NBA game, right? There's a foul on every possession. You have to decide what to call, right? Mm. And you so you a real estate agent can make you not want to buy a house, even though you know they can say they're doing their job, but it's a Redfin house, so they don't they don't want to always buy it because it's, it's a, a, someone coming in trying to usurp you know cut their fees. Mm. And and there's, there's all kinds of reasons why this this industry is all messed up, but. The problem for Zillow is 
they know it's messed up. And, and if you are hitching your trailer to a messed up industry, you are fundamentally susceptible to a new player coming in and, and actually finally figuring it out and breaking the whole thing open. I mean, it's interesting in terms of framing it as they rise and fall on the market. But there's another way of viewing it, which is the the size, the 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 quantum of the opportunity is a function of what you integrate over the top of and your point around getting your hands dirty and taking a cut of the transaction and and having capital at risk in that sense or, or having something at risk in that sense as opposed to just selling subscriptions and super high margin, fantastic in terms of high margins. But there's always going to be a limit in terms of the size of the opportunity. And and this is where I would draw the parallel back to where... where um, where I talked about that initial sustaining versus disruptive innovation. Yes, they're going to rise and fall on the back of the market, uh, on the back of the health of the real estate market. But there's also just this massive pot of gold for those guys. If they can figure out how to integrate down into the purchase and sale, they will have control not only of the users coming in to look at the site, but the whole process. And that gives you so much more control to reshape all those elements like the incentives. And they will make so much more money as a result if they crack it. Well, just just to reiterate, it's not just just rise and fall with the market. Mm. What I mean is, if the the real estate age, the real estate industry, like the value chain and the structure of it, mm-hmm. is is fund, it's flawed. It's clear from anyone mm-hmm. looking at it that there's something not right here. Right, the incentives yep. are wrong and the fees are way too high. Now, now there's reasons why those are high. Again, the other thing I didn't mention is, you know, people rarely buy houses, mm-hmm. right? So the motivation to push for change, whereas real estate agents are involved in every transaction every single day. So their their incentives to keep it the way it is are way higher and motivations are way higher than sort of people just kind of dipping mm-hmm. in and out, you know, every few decades. Uh, so again, there's lots of reasons why it is the way it is. But it's also a situation where you can see, like, is this really sustainable? And what I mean by Zillow rising and falling with it is if someone actually does disrupt the market, mm-hmm. Then Zillow is is they're, they're done exactly yeah. right, and this is why you know Open Door is was so interesting that we talked about last year because their model again to sort of reiterate is they go in and they buy houses they like you you put in an address and they they do an inspection and they make you an offer and it's like take it or leave it and and their bet is that through like data science and understanding the markets that they can consistently buy houses at a price and then sell them at a premium and, and they also their fees are pretty high like they're not it's not necessarily a winning on fees so like being cheaper like Redfin's trying to do they're mm-hmm. winning by by basically the the people who are in the worst shape in the process are the sellers because they're stuck in the house. They often have deadlines. They have to go. If you're a buyer, you can look at lots of houses, right? You have mm-hmm. options. If you're a seller, you can only sell one house. And 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 so they're coming in and serving a really under the most underserved segment of the market and saying, yeah, you, you, maybe you're not going to maximize the price you get, but if you think about the time value of money, you think about the flexibility, like to to get a guaranteed price the moment that you list it, like that's something that could be very attractive. And then theoretically they will flip it and then and then and then sell it for for a higher price and mm. it, it, they also again they charge fees along the way the reason why this is such a problem for zillow is to the extent they get traction the the they're not just threatening it's not like an, a competitor coming along it's they're threatening the entire model of real estate and again the model of real estate is where zillow rests so so there's a real threat to zillow here but then to your point the point you just made there's also a real opportunity because what's open doors problem 
they still have to sell the house, right? Mm. And what company in the entire industry is best placed to sell a house quickly and efficiently? Zillow. Zillow, the one where everyone's already going. So it's it's both a open door is both a threat and an opportunity. Yeah, it's it's fascinating the way that when these industries start to change, how oftentimes these companies that come along and aggregate and disrupt, they they require working with the elements of the industry that they end up disrupting. And the ones that are successful are the ones that get the companies that they then go on to disrupt and they aggregate consumers on top of that they get them so dependent on working with them that they have no choice. And or they, 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 that it's so attractive and that they are focused just on their quarterly earnings that it's like, oh, I'll just keep working with you. And the frog slowly boils. And the example that I, that came to mind for me as I was reading your article from last week was actually Netflix. And it started off in much the same way, just taking, oh, we'll just take the content from you guys and we'll mail out DVDs. And then we'll just, we'll just stream the content, your content. It's all good. This is all, this is all marginal revenue for you guys. We're making you Mr. Content Provider more money and then they get better they generate more data they get customers trained to go there they build relationships with customers they have this fantastic ui the data gives them insights into content that no one else has and then all of a sudden they turn around and they're like guess what guys we're going to start creating our own content and we'll sell it to everyone in the world and it puts them in this incredible position and what's going to be interesting to see is whether zillow have got themselves in such a secure position that the estate agents are willing Willing to risk bypassing using them in the future and whether they'll act collectively to do so. This is so interesting to watch. And it's and it, and it has and it matters not just for real estate, but for how you think about companies like Spotify, for mm. example. Yeah. Because, like, and there's there's reason to think that Zillow can pull this off. Mm. And the and the example is I kind of mentioned in passing the, those MLS, the, the multiple listing services. So mm. uh, sort of a, a downside to Zillow, particularly in the early days, is they didn't to, to, to get access to the multiple listing service, which is where all the houses go on immediately and if you want to know what house is on the market right away you need access to that is you have to be a registered broker because they're run by local real estate associations i mean you could see all the like you could see where all the problems this market stem from mm-hmm. you have to be a, a, a local broker in that region there's like 900 mls regions in the u.s so you to, to get access to all of it you actually have to be you have to be in there and uh, you know zill's not going to do that because they're they're a media company they're a high margin sort of media company you know redfin went the opposite way they actually are have been trying to build out and like they're they're a real estate agency with like a different a, a different approach, mm. um, whereas where Zillow was you know just sort of sitting on top, and so they depended on real estate agents putting listings onto Zillow, and, and so they were always a little behind, they're a little late. But the sort of the, the brilliant piece that Zillow had, you mentioned it, uh, I think at the beginning of the podcast, is this estimate where you could go on and see what a house was what they said it was worth, and. You know, leave aside how accurate it is. It doesn't matter because people loved it, right? They loved going and snooping around and seeing what the neighbor's house is worth, what my house is worth, and that that was the sort of the for an aggregator, the key user experience that got people on the platform. And the people on the platform, the real estate agents were motivated to put listings onto the platform as mm. well, and that's what got it started. And then what happened was, and this is really interesting, is uh, Zillow made a deal with like a a, an, uh, a small a aggregator of like MLS listings, and they and so they actually. Got MLS listings onto Zillow and flowing on there, and and this is the key point. The, due to like they had a dispute with the aggregator, and they're going to pull off all the MLS. They're going to they're going to cut Zillow off, 
and so the question was, and it was like everyone was like predicting doom for Zillow. Oh, oh they're going to lose all the listings. People, you know, they're going to be in trouble. Blah blah blah. What happened was, is Zillow started cutting individual deals with all those nine hundred MLS areas <laughs> and they all hustled and worked hard and I went back and read like real estate journals from that time period and they're talking about how hard people were working to get back their MLS back onto Zillow mm. and it, and what happened and why because they that's knew that's where the consumers were that's where the consumers were and the local real estate agents knew that if they wanted to sell houses effectively they needed to be on Zillow and so it turns out that today Zillow has nearly all the MLSs on their service and they're on their service on Zillow's terms. So they've already demonstrated at least mm. one point in their history that they that the market knows they need Zillow. The real estate market knows they need them and they have power over them. So my suspicion is, again, Zillow's couching this term in, in the context of, well, we're still going to work with real estate agents. You just, you know, there's certain opportunities where it makes sense, blah, 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 blah. My, my sense is there's not going to be a real retaliation because the only retaliation retaliation real estate agents have is to pull their houses off, right? If they pull their houses off, though, they've already shown that they know they're going to be hurt. And so I think they're not going to be punished. Like they have achieved enough consumer mm. mind share and control that they actually have gained power over the, their entrenched suppliers and can move into this new area without retaliation. I love the comparison between Zillow and Spotify, but there is one big difference between the two of them, which is Spotify is dependent effectively on an oligopolistic. I think I got that. <laughs> oligopolistic. Oh, shit, I can't do yes. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel better about that. Just say dependent on an oligopoly. Oligopoly yeah. is an oligopolistic. <laughs> right, which is a, a group of suppliers, i.e. the record labels. So the likelihood of collective action there is much higher than 900 MLSs. And it's not even the MLSs, it's the individual agents. And the individual agents will have a collective action problem. So they if it was one person and they saw this happening, one entity, they saw this happening. It's like, okay, guys, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to come for me. I'm going to cut off all your supply and the consumers can go to your site, but it won't matter because they won't have any houses and people aren't going to be there. But you don't want to be the only real estate agent not listing there because there are still going to be a bunch of consumers going. So I think the likelihood that Zillow experiences a problem versus Spotify. And I remember thinking at the end of that episode, asking you if you were a record agent, what would you, a record label, what would you do? And I was thinking, actually, you know what? I wish I'd mentioned if I was a label and I saw Spotify move into label territory and there are only a handful of labels, I just pull the content right then and there and, and keep them in their, keep them in their lane. But the likelihood of that happening with real estate agents is so small because there are so many of them and you don't want to be the agent that gets the shitty price because you're not listing on Zillow. And the seller is going to be like, why isn't the house on Zillow? Like, I want my house on Zillow. I know that's where all the consumers go. That's exactly right. And this is another sort of – this is my other sort of real aha moment when I was writing this article was the appreciation for uh, – if you want to predict the success of an aggregator – a key component is understanding the degree of fragmentation in the market. Mm. And, and that fragment, again, because it's not an aggregator certainly causes fragmentation, but they also benefit from it. And, and you think about Google, for example, the classic aggregator of all, right? I mean, they, what it was the web that utterly and completely destroyed the newspaper business model, that fragmented it, that put, that put, oh, you know, billions and trillions of pages on the internet that were just waiting for someone to, mm. to, to, like the, the field was 
fresh. It was like plowed mm. and 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 all the <laughs> you know, right. it was ready for Google to come along, right? It, it, and now has Google further that has facebook further that absolutely but the the conditions were ripe for them to come in and i think this gets to your point where zillow again it's a very very hard market to break into but it's still pretty fragmented and that fragmentation works to their advantage and you're exactly right to compare it to spotify the 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 fundamental problem with spotify well there's two problems we'll get to another one but the, the problem is there's only three Mm. which means their power is mm. outsized. You know, obviously the other problem with Spotify is they have a competitor. They, mm. Apple Music is mm. there. And yes, I I, pref- I think Spotify is better for lots of reasons, but at the end of the day, if Spotify has no record has no label music and Apple Music does, <laughs> I mean like it mm. that matters the supplier the supplier content matters more than the than the sort of user features. That makes total sense. And uh, it was for that reason that the there are two so i want to pivot the conversation and talk about the market reaction to it and on one hand i found it immensely frustrating that the market would punish a company for doing something bold like this and taking taking their position and effectively leveraging it to go after to go after what could be one of the biggest markets in the united states like you think about home sales it is a huge market and if they can tie that up it is huge on the other hand, I kind of understand that there is pretty substantial operational risk associated with figuring out financing and all the capital associated with buying houses and the on the boots, on the ground, boots on the ground type approach that you're going to need in order to buy all these houses and show the houses and do whatever they're, they're going to do. I do think, though, there's, there's another really interesting element, which is that you train your investors to expect certain things. And this is an instance where Zillow, like they said it in their IPO, the S1, like you said, they were a real estate media company and investors come along and they think, okay, this is a very predictable company. Uh, it's going to, the revenues are going to be predictable. We can we can measure it out in perpetuity. And if I want this type of company with this type of exposure, I'll buy this type of company. If you come along and you catch the market unaware with a big shift like this, you will get that 9% hit or whatever it was, independent of the operational risk involved in switching your business models. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're still down and, and, and still trending down. They, they were at a high of $58 in, in middle of March and they're $47, $47 right now. So I mean, that's mm. a 20% drop. And, and yeah, I think... I think it's reasonable by investors. I mean, investors buy into a company with an expectation. They're building a portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 if they wanted to be invested in a in a real estate company, that to your point, it's it's not just that they're taking on you know, that they have to put boots on the ground stuff. Like the entire capital structure of the company mm. is going to have to change if they're going to do this in a meaningful way. They're going to have to take on tons of debt. They're mm-hmm. going to have to take on all these properties. The, the risk is going to be way higher. But – that's what happens if the payout, to your point, is huge. High risk and high reward, you don't get one without the other. So I, I can understand the investor reaction. And what's so interesting is I we, I think we said on that podcast, or I said, I can't remember your position, but I will own up to, I said Zillow's not going to do this. Oh, I was and a the big reason- bull for it. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you wanted them to do it. And I said, no, there's no way they'll ever do it. And the reason they would never do it is because their investors wouldn't allow them to. And I think they had the and, – and also you know, competing with the suppliers. The competing with the suppliers point, I think you could see that coming. Again, once you understood how the, that MLS example that uh, I talked about before. Mm. Uh, but I, from an investment perspective and being a public company – uh, you know, I I didn't think I didn't think they I didn't think they could do it, but th- 
they've at least started on that road. Yeah, it, it's taken some kahunas and there is, it's not without risk, but you know what, like, this is the kind of thing that makes me excited about tech and makes me excited about Silicon Valley. It's it's one thing, and it, I, I don't want to... Uh, dis- Zillow, I got to defend Seattle. Zillow, Zillow is in Seattle. Oh, okay. Well, tech, tech and Seattle <laughs> or, or Silicon Valley, it, it's like... It's one of these things where it's nice and fantastic for you to build a business on top of an existing market that's broken and make things a little bit easier and take a nice cut of whatever market that is, but come along and to risk your position in order to fundamentally reshape a broken market. I think this is awesome and I am cheering for them all the way and I really hope they pull it off. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be, because I mean, this has always been the sort of like the rub with open door. Like I've I've always been very interested and intrigued by them because there's an aspect of if you're going to change a market, if you're mm. going to fundamentally change a market, you're not going to do it by you're not going to do it by doing what is already done better, right? That was right. Redfin's. That's why I've always been very skeptical and and kind of bored by Redfin. They're mm. like basically we're going to make we're going to cut real estate agent fees. Like no, like making stuff cheaper doesn't transform the market. You have to come in with something that fundamentally changes the the value chain and that's what open door is doing by by being by by being a buying agent actually buying up houses and then turning them but the question has always been how are they going to sell the houses how are they going to get rid of them because you know when it comes to this sort of business your the number one all that matters is how on those houses are on your balance sheet you mm-hmm. have to get them off your balance sheet as soon as possible mm-hmm. and and there is again the company with by far the biggest advantage in doing that is Zillow because they already own where customers go. It matters more. Like I, I don't care how good Open Doors data science is. If they don't get customers buying their houses, they're going to struggle. And 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 so I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it's a huge opportunity. I think Zillow is right to go for it. And. Yeah, I hope the twenty dollar decline in their stock price does not dissuade them from going all in. There's a there's a obvious complement between those two companies too, right? One really has got nailed the consumer experience and bring lots of brings lots of eyeballs, and there's another company that's figured it out from the seller perspective in terms of creating an experience in terms of I need to sell my house right now because I'm moving and I need to get out and they have figured out a valuation process they've figured out how to show houses fix them up take them like give people valuation super quickly etc etc I I can see a world in which these two companies given the direction Zillow's just described become very very complementary not to start to go into dreamland of how and everybody loves to do this imagining mergers and acquisitions I'm actually very skeptical of doing it but in terms of skill sets and creating an end-to-end integrated organization I could those two organizations are very complementary yeah and before we get emails I know there are other people in this space I mean mm-hmm. obviously we are we are very biased towards towards the ones in the valley um mm-hmm. but no I think I, th- I think I think it's a good point and it's going to be an interesting test that I mean open door has expanded pretty well they're, I think they're they're raising at a two billion dollar valuation or something like mm-hmm. that which you know I think is suggests that their numbers are are looking pretty decent but yeah there's an it'll be interesting let's let's presume that their technology is better on the on the buying house side, mm-hmm. I, I would bet on Zillow because the the the, the selling side, the, the the customer acquisition side, and the other thing is, you know, when it comes to finding the buyers, 
the open door has to advertise. They have to like they do a lot of advertising in the markets that they're in saying, oh, you to make raise awareness. Zillow, if you're selling a house, what's also the first place that you go? You go yeah. get that you go get that estimate, right? You mm-hmm. see how much is my house worth? And and they're just like it's so valuable to own that relationship, that customer relationship. But it's it's it, you need more, right? You need that integration. And and so yeah, I just I mean I love this I love this story because one the the market itself is super interesting and what they're trying mm-hmm. to do is interesting. How they sort of are seeking to pivot and dealing with the markets is interesting, but also this idea of really fleshing out sort of, you know, aggregation theory I think in a, in a really meaningful sort of step forward. I mean, obviously that you know that that's right up my alley. Yeah, no, I, I I love this too. I I saw it and I was like, yes, this looks fantastic. This is this is an example of the promise of tech, like fundamentally rethinking a business uh, or, or an industry, given new tech that's come to market, given the changing dynamics. Uh, I think it's awesome. And when I wrote that defining aggregators piece, I mm-hmm. I wrote a, an accompanying piece at the time called. Uh, blogs, not books, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And one of my sort of big things was the ability to sort of iterate and change things over time. And this is such a great example because I thought, oh, I wrote the defining aggregators. Oh, I've really nailed this down, right? And here I am, like six months later, like making a pretty substantial change or adjustment. And like I said, almost going back to where I started because, like, the the, the key, the big article that I wrote the week before Asian theory was Netflix and the conservation of attractive mm-hmm. profits, which was about Professor Christian's theory and and why. Th- why that shift, that point of integration was critical. And it, it's kind of weird how you kind of forget stuff. So I guess a book would be good because it's actually written down. <laughs> but it's also really good that once it's written down, it, like it's stuck, right? And and, and I, I don't have to do that. And I, I, it's it's pretty great from my perspective. Yeah, no, it's also crazy. I mean, once upon a time, I think you made this point. Once upon a time, a book would have been appropriate given the pace of change, but the extent to which industries are changing and we're learning new things and we're seeing multiple examples of this phenomenon, but in different industries. And there are different things like the extent to which there's fragmentation in supplies in different industries just allows you to refine the theory as you go along. And you want to be able to do this because all this is happening so quickly. Yeah, because I mean the reason and the reason it sounds so cliche is so, oh stuff's happening quickly now and then people are like, Oh, don't people always say that? And you know, I was at that at, at that conference last week and, and you know, it was always a common retort. Well, people always say it's different this time. But it, it is different this time. Like the the internet, like all this is because of the internet. And, and and the reason why the internet matters is the internet is the driver of that fragmentation. The the, the, the internet is the driver of that commodification of stuff that used to be integrated and, and combined, and, mm. and it's creating the conditions for in integration to come along and without without the internet like that, that that that's why it is that's why it is different and why there are these opportunities to build aggregators because you first need everything broken up into pieces and that was again that's the other sort of takeaway i had here is an aggregator doesn't just drive change they rely on the on the change having already happened in many respects and that and that the real change driver the real unifier of all this is the internet yep i totally agree Cool. Well, uh, we will. We, I'm sure the the what I actually wrote about this week and, and the privacy and the stuff we will definitely talk about again. I think mm. it ties into thinking about regulation in an interesting way that I kind of yeah. teased at the, at the end of it. Uh, and that's that's going to be another piece and I think another podcast. But I'm glad we were able to touch on this. I I, I was tempted. I actually brought my microphone thinking because I wanted to podcast about about this article so so mm. much. I'm, I'm glad we saved it. Yeah, me too. I I, I obviously am a big 
proponent of all the uh, t- talking about the privacy stuff. But when this came out, particularly given the nature of our conversation last time and just the, this company to go after this market, I was like, I, I was glad that this was your preferred topic too, because I love this stuff as well. I know we're 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 definitely I think more we talk about, <laughs> we talk about Facebook a lot but with I think oh uh, our no listeners more. know we are we are in our element uh, with with this stuff for sure. Mm. Our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent to get 15% off your website today. And I will talk to you next week. It's good to have you back. I look forward to speaking to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.